Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today we consider Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, and Yahweh gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number, both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to Yahweh. When the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh on account of the Midianites, Yahweh sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says Yahweh the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am Yahweh your God. You shall not fear the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of Yahweh came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him and said to him, Yahweh is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my lord, if Yahweh is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? But now Yahweh has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And Yahweh turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And Yahweh said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of Yahweh reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of Yahweh vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of Yahweh. And Gideon said, 
Alas, O Lord Yahweh, for now I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. But Yahweh said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to Yahweh and called it Yahweh is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. That night Yahweh said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to Yahweh your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as Yahweh had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon. The son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal, and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore on that day Gideon was called Jerubbaal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of Yahweh clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. This is the word of the Lord. So our cycle in the book of Judges here continues and the people, once again, after being saved, after experiencing a time of peace, they return to their sins. They worship false gods instead of worshiping Yahweh, or even Yahweh alone, we might say. And what we see then is God giving them into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites are a little harder to pin down in terms of their location, their borders, where they might have been. It seems like down by the Gulf of Aqaba, which is one of those gulfs that comes off the north edge of the Red Sea, it's the rightmost one. Um, they seem to have lived around there and eastward from there and even north, um, moving in that direction as well. So this would put them primarily to the east and to the southeast 
and even south, I guess, of where Israel itself would be. They also are known in periods of history to have been nomadic, which makes sense with what we see actually in that first paragraph, that they are living in tents, right? And they're moving from essentially one place to another. They go where their food is, and they eat it, right? They, they basically, as they're described in the text, like locusts, they just swarm through. Well, look, food. They can't for a while. They eat all the food. Food's gone. Okay, they move on. Now, if they were just eating wild vegetation, that would be one thing, but they're consuming the entire crop, right, that is grown by a people to sustain that people. So this ends up being theft, right, that they are, they are making it difficult for the Israelites to live. So Midian has overpowered Israel for seven years. That puts us roughly 1178 through 1172 B.C., Israel is so terrified of Midian that they're living in caves in the hills. They're building dens for themselves in the mountains. Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out to help for Yahweh. So there's that repentance part again showing up for the Israelites at this time. This is the fifth cycle in the book of Judges. So as they cry out, God first sends something different this time. He sends a prophet. And the prophet simply recalls for them who God is and what God has done for them and what he's done for their people, that he rescued them out of Egypt, he rescued them out of slavery, delivered them from the oppression that they endured under the Pharaoh of Egypt. And then he brought them into the promised land that he had told them he was going to give them. He drove out all of their enemies from before them. Now, some might make the argument that that doesn't mean much because these Israelites are hundreds of years removed from that at this point, right? They're over 200 years removed even from entering the promised land. They've never seen it. They don't remember it. That's a challenge though, right? This is what Jesus then ends up talking about to Thomas. In John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25, says this, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This matters to you and to me, right? We have not seen these miracles of God. We did not see Jesus on the cross like his disciples did. We did not see Jesus resurrected from the tomb as, well, 500 men did, as well as all the apostles and, and select others, right, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have not seen such things with our own eyes. We didn't see the healing miracles that Jesus was performing or how he multiplied the, the bread and the fish to feed crowds of thousands but we believe. That's the struggle in this text, is that these people, even though, yes, they have not seen it, they don't believe, but they still ought to. Just because you haven't seen a miracle from God in your life doesn't mean he's not God. Doesn't mean he's not there. Doesn't mean he isn't the one who created you, who formed you with his own hands, the one who provides your daily bread. 
but you have not obeyed my voice. Israel did not listen to the Lord, despite all that he had done for them. And we've seen this through Exodus. We've seen it through the book of Numbers. We've seen it in Joshua, and we're seeing it again in the book of Judges, the rebelliousness of Israel against the Lord. So Jesus then comes, right? The angel of Yahweh comes to Ophrah. We don't know exactly where this location is. It's in Manasseh, as we learn that the Bezerites are from the tribe of Manasseh, down in verse 15. And he's come very specifically to meet Gideon. Gideon is hiding as he beats wheat so that the Midianites don't see it and they don't come and take it from him. Man, imagine that, right? You have to even hide to prepare your food so his family can eat. Jesus, the angel of Yahweh, appears to him. Now, this text, honestly, is going to be one of those texts in Scripture that convinces us that the angel of Yahweh refers to Jesus. And Exodus 3, burning bush, is an excellent account of that. But so is this. Because it's Jesus, sorry, it's the angel of Yahweh who speaks to Gideon, who has appeared to Gideon. And then you get verse 14. After Gideon says what he says, Yahweh turned to him. Who's with him? God himself is with him. The angel word in both Hebrew and Greek. So in Hebrew, malach, in Greek, angelos. In either of those languages, it can be translated as angel or it can rightly be translated as messenger. So Jesus, son of God, there to deliver a message to Gideon, to command him, actually even, to go and to fight against Midian. Gideon does not trust. If God is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Does that sound like something people say today? It's a bad view of suffering, but it's commonplace. Evil is in this world because of our sin. We suffer because of our sin, but the Lord works through such suffering to bring about good for his people. In this case, the good for his people is repentance, that they stop trusting in pagan idols and they believe in him again, which ultimately leads to their salvation, or at least would should they believe. That's, just, that's good, right? Even if there's discipline and suffering for a moment here, there's something better coming. Gideon says that Yahweh has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Truly, he gave them into the hand of Midian, but to say that Yahweh forsook them, they forsook Yahweh. They abandoned God. They turned their backs on him. The Lord is now doing this as a punishment. He has not abandoned them. He's still with them. I mean, literally, he's even present with them right then, right there at that moment, right? As Jesus stands before Gideon. So, Jesus commands him, Go in this might of yours. Save Israel. Do I not send you? That's it right there. That should be enough. But Gideon doesn't do it. He pushes back. How can I save? My clan is the weakest. I am the least in my father's house. He's certainly not proud. Which, in a sense, is a good characteristic. 
However, in this particular case, it's not because God has given him something to do and he's saying no. He's challenging it. He's pushing back. Does this remind you of anyone? It's a family conversation point. Can you remember anyone else that God tried to send and that person refused? Uh, phrasing it that way, Jonah might come to mind. I was thinking of Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3 who refused five times, right? He kept challenging the Lord and pushing back. We're going to see three times here from Gideon in this chapter. So what's the problem? He's not trusting in God. He's not jumping to do what the Lord has instructed him to do. His faith is weak. A conversation point here could also be what has God called us to do? God has not called you to take up a sword and go and fight the Midianites, but he has called you to take up the sword that is his word and fight back against the devil in this broken world by sharing the gospel. And we oftentimes, we often refuse to do it for various reasons. So could be a good conversation to have. And repentance together as a family, that the Lord would give you the strength then to go about doing the work of his kingdom. Jesus says he will be with him, right? That's all that you need, Gideon. That will be enough, as Gideon will learn soon enough, but not in today's text. Gideon asks for a sign. So the presence of God right there before him is not enough. He's going to bring a gift. He asks that the angel remain there until he comes back. All right, in fairness, I should say, Jesus is not an angel, not in the way we think of angels. He's, that's why I described angel or messenger earlier. The angel of Yahweh, messenger of God, is Jesus. But Jesus is not a created being. He's not one of the angels with wings that we see elsewhere in Scripture. He's not Gabriel. He's not Michael. None of that sort of thing. He is God in the flesh for us, Emmanuel. And even at this point, he is the pre-incarnate Christ who is appearing in the form of man already, at least with the appearance of man, right? Because Gideon is not just completely struck terrified yet. He will be. So Jesus promises to remain. Gideon prepares a meal, meat from a young goat, bread from an ephah of flour. That's like six gallons, roughly. A lot of food, right, for just one man. He cooks it all up. He prepares it. He brings it to the angel of Yahweh, the angel of God. And Jesus commands him to put it on a rock and pour the broth over the meat. And when he does, Jesus then takes his staff, touches it to the, to the tip, right, of the meat and the cakes. And instantly fire springs up out of the rock, consumes it all. And at that, okay, so Jesus then vanishes. But at that, Gideon recognizes all of a sudden, oh, that was not a normal visitor. That was not just some ordinary man that had come to visit with me. And then he recognizes, right, verse 22, Alas, O Lord Yahweh, for now I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. Again, helpful to understand that the angel of Yahweh is Jesus. He's terrified afterwards because he has seen this angel face to face. If it's an ordinary angel, seeing an angel face to face does not bring about your destruction. 
It is not seeing an angel face to face that causes Isaiah and his call in Isaiah chapter 6 to cry out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah has seen God face to face and thinks he's going to die. Gideon is is shouting out right now because he thinks he's about to die because he's seen God face to face. That's the key. That's the point here. That's what's going on. God speaks to him familiar words, right? God saying, peace be to you. Do not fear. Those are things Jesus says to the disciples, right? You shall not die because God is lifting him up. God is raising him up to be his servant, to be judge over Israel. So Gideon builds an altar there to worship Yahweh called Yahweh's peace. To the day it still stands, that's to the day that the book was written down, we don't really have a good timeline for knowing when the book of Judges was written, but that's okay. Um, the Lord recorded it for us through the power of his Holy Spirit, and this is good news. We thank him for it. God commands him then to take two bulls, one bull of which he's going to tear down an altar, the other bull he's going to offer on that alt- on a, well, the new altar, I suppose. Yeah, he builds an altar there in verse 26. So, Note that the altar of Baal is that his father has. We're not told that about Joash at the start, but that makes it sound like Joash might be a priest of Baal, a servant of these false gods. He's got Baal and he's got Asherah, and he's worshiping them instead of worshiping Yahweh. And so Gideon, afraid of the family, afraid of the men of the town, does it at night. Not exactly a strong start, again, right, for Gideon, the judge of God. So, men wake up in the morning, they see what's happened, the altar's broken down, the Asherah, the pole that they used to worship the goddess, is cut down, that wood is chopped down and been cut up and used to burn a bull on this new altar. And so they want to know who did it, they find out Gideon did it, and they want to kill him. question for you to discuss as a family. When else did God's people try to kill the deliverer God sent to them? Maybe Moses, Numbers 14, would be a connection that you can make. Um, Certainly it connects, but I'm thinking of Jesus, right? God sends his son Jesus and the people of God who should have loved their Savior. They put him to death. Ultimately, that was for our good, as it is his death on the cross that forgives us. Joash, even though he looks like he might have been a pagan priest, Joash calms the crowd and says, let Baal contend with Gideon. So they call him Jerobaal because that's what that means. And just intriguing, right? The argument is sound. If, if Baal really is a god, he can fight for himself. He doesn't need you to stand up for him. All right, so the Midianites, Amalekites, people of the east come together. They come into Israel territory. They come into the Valley of Jezreel, which is not too far off the Jordan River, uh, just westward there. And God brings about Gideon, gets him ready for battle. Gideon summons men by messenger through Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali. So you got four of the tribes active out of the 12. But then he tests God twice more still struggling to believe that God is with him. He has the whole thing about the fleece, right? He is doubting God's word that God will save Israel through him. So he wants to have 
he puts out a fleece, you know, a piece of animal skin. He puts it out on the ground, and he asks that God, in the morning, will have just dew on the fleece, but none on the ground. And he does it again the next day, just dew on the ground, none on the fleece. This is something your children can understand, right? As you go outside in the morning, on a nice spring morning, everything's just wet with dew. Dew does not discriminate where it falls or where it condensates, if that's a better word, whatever. And it should have been everywhere. So the Lord performs this miracle for him twice. He does it for Gideon to see. Four times, I think I said three earlier, four times Gideon pushes back against God here, but God is patient with him and continues to work through him, just as he was patient with Moses and continued to work through him, just as he is patient with us and continues to work through us.